Thanks for tuning into McNamara on Money, a podcast about all things financial. On this podcast, we talk about investments and investment performance. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Listeners to this podcast should consult their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions we might make. You might hear us referring to a phone number to call as this podcast is taken from a live radio show. Instead of calling the phone number, you can get in touch with us on our website at McNamaraFinancial.com. McNamara on Money is heard on six continents and in more than 50 countries worldwide. Now sit back, relax and enjoy the show. And welcome to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara, alongside Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Alyssa, how are you doing this morning? I'm well. Good morning. Good morning to you. All right. We're going to be talking about dividend income. I guess yields is not, is, is the bigger picture. Obviously we've been, we've had a change in the, in, everyone's had a, some adjustments to the yield in their money markets or their checking accounts or CDs recently. And uh, so it's fairly top of mind. So I thought I would do yields and income as a topic here for this morning and, and just talk about how those changes affect Shorter term savings to a degree, but also spend a little bit more time on on the longer term and the retirement planning end of things. Sound okay to you? Yeah, sounds good. And certainly a change for the better in terms of earnings on money markets and CDs, et cetera. Maybe not for very good reason, given the (laughs) economic environment and inflation and all that stuff, but... Certainly people appreciate seeing some kind or receiving some kind of yield on cash products these days. So people are happy about that. Yes. If you weren't, yeah, for for your savings account, certainly it's been pretty much nothing but upside. Of course, if you owned a bond along the way, that yield adjustment was came with a, a painful, potentially repricing of your asset there. It wasn't all good all around, but yeah. certainly I think right now, looking forward, savers and folks who are looking for more real-time income are in a better situation now than they were, let's just say, a couple hmm. of years ago, right? Yeah. And I know we'll get into this, but yield earnings, potential yield on more conservative portfolios. Maybe we'll get into potentially that being more attractive than it's been in the last decade or more and how this interest rate environment and yield affects portfolio return assumptions as well. Yeah. Yes. Sounds good. Yes. So, so where do you I, want to start? You know what? I, I'm, I'm trying to do something topical. I know we, we, we tend to stick to bigger picture topics here and we try not to be too often discussing the hot investment topic of the day, but we should probably mention the conflict that we have going on in the Middle East. And yeah. obviously folks will have questions about how that might impact their finances, their investments. So I did want to maybe just take a brief tangent on that. Not too long. I think our general um, recommendation to most folks is to try not to let events, and I, I don't want to, you know, describe the event with any particular degree of how bad it is. But generally speaking, we would be more on the buy and hold side of recommendations, and in, in especially when it comes to predicting human behavior. It's hard to know how a. It's hard to know when conflict is going to erupt. It's hard to know when it's going to how long it will last. It's how mm-hmm. it's hard to know when it's going to stop, and it's also difficult to know how it's going to impact the the global economy and and investments as a result. So I think our our standard default recommendation 
is that we've been through a lot of these things before. I'm actually, I have a chart up in front of me, courtesy of what's a website called Quantified Strategies. I think they're, they looks like a research firm that's doing investment stuff. And there's a whole list of of events and i'll be quite frank there's a lot of them i i don't i didn't even remember right so, <laughs> yeah it's yeah, nothing not to say not to make Short light lives. of any of them yeah. but as time passes you just tend to you, these things tend to fade into history and i think that's part yeah. of the point is that it's a in the moment like a lot of things it seems major but with the benefit of history looking back on a lot of these things at least from a market point of view or we're a financial show we're not going to talk about the human suffering end of current conflicts or any in the past I think those speak for themselves, I think. Right. Yeah. Some of these are pretty interesting. I don't know if you want to go through some of the I'm looking at the same website that you're looking at. And there's a chart on here that goes through what a couple dozen market shock events. And this information was pulled together. It looks like there's there's. LPL research, and that's where the information came from. But there's a cool chart that lists some historical events, conflicts that have in the last century or so, actually. And what they go through is what did the markets do? What did the domestic stock market do? The S&P do on that day that there's, for example, there's bombings and attacks and things like that, awful things. And then they go and for each event, it's the What's the one day drawdown of the market? What was the total drawdown of the market related to this event over several days? And then it's how many days until the the market temporarily bottomed out? And then how many days did it take to recover? And some of them are quite long, but a lot of them are really short. And I think that's the whole point, right? Yes. In terms of time to draw down and time to recover. So I don't know. Yeah, you're right. I didn't recognize all of them. But for example... The Boston Marathon bombing is on here. It was about almost exactly 10 years ago, right? 10 and a half years ago. Yep. Yep. And there was a one day drawdown of the S&P of 2.3%, but the total drawdown was just 3% over a four day period of time and then just took two weeks for the market to fully recover. Um, yeah, and again, yeah, and again, there, there's a to be clear, there's a very big difference in the in sort of the scale of of these conflicts, right? Uh, obviously, the Boston Marathon bombing that was just a you know, sort of relatively isolated event, whereas yeah. Pearl Harbor is the first on the list yeah. when you had a three a three point eight percent one day drop and then a total drawdown of nearly twenty percent, and it took you three hundred and seven days to get back to the recovery. But I think that's also part of the point, right? The part of the point is that you don't know how these things are going to turn out. So I guess. Technically, you could look at that both ways and and you could say, hey, this might be another Pearl Harbor, in which case then it might be a this is a this is going to escalate it into a larger war. And therefore, that might be a rationale to to get more conservative or to sell your stock market investments, stuff like that. But I think the point of the chart is that the vast majority of them were relatively short and relative again, relatively inconsequential at least in the grand scheme, right? The average one day downtime, I won't spend, you know, the one day doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot. The average yeah. total drawdown after one of these events was just 5% for the S&P 500, right? So it's, again, not major. Again, there were a few larger ones in there. Pearl Harbor, what's... what's well, there's uh, only a few of them that, are, that happened on domestic soil, right? Pearl Harbor... And then the Boston Marathon bombing, of course, a small event relative to a war that we're seeing now in the Middle East. The Kennedy assassination is on here. That was only a 2.8% drawdown in just a day and a day to recover. And there's only a few that there. Oh, I'm sorry. The terror, the 9-11 is on here. 
Yep. Total drawdown of 11.5% over 11 days and then just a month to recover from that. Yep. Is that the only other? And then Boston Marathons. And that's the only, uh, there's a couple dozen here and there's only those, what, four yeah. that were on domestic soil and everything else was overseas. So yeah. part of the article was that the, the domestic conflict would spook people in the markets and affect businesses domestically more. Something happening overseas, not that doesn't impact U.S. investors and consumers and businesses, but perhaps not to the same degree as here in the States, of course. Yeah, obviously, a major land war in our country is, is probably doesn't yeah. doesn't exist here other than the Pearl Harbor attack, uh, yeah. which goes way back. And that's the point is, again, the point of the article. And I think the, what we try to repeat to our clients is just you tend to want to stay the course on these things because the vast majority of these events are over relatively quickly and are in the markets. In, in the, in the yeah, markets. In, in, yeah, my, I have to always think about our time, the time scale on which we think about things tends to be. Yeah, a few months is pretty quick uh, in the world of investing. Right. To, yeah, to yeah. us, that's like a that's like a, a snap of a finger, right? Yeah, because we're always looking out 40 or 50 years at someone's retirement. But that said, they tend to be over relatively quickly. Again, that's in this case is 47 days was the average, which again, I think most people would would consider that fairly quick. And so it is probably not a reason for you to change your investment strategy. That doesn't mean that it the market won't go down more. It doesn't mean that this won't turn into one of the larger events, but because that is not predictable enough, we don't think it's probably best to stay the course. Yeah. Good with that. Also, I I'm side note on that, it did say that you tend these events tend to be you, you tend to get less volatility in the markets during events like this, which I thought was a, a relatively yeah. interesting side note. I did see um, that. Yeah, which I know, right? It was I wasn't expecting that when I was when I clicked on it. And when I was looking for information like this, I was certainly expecting to find because we've seen a, we've seen them 100 times before lists of events and how long things take to play out in the markets. But I was not expecting the lower volatility. But yeah, yeah. I guess I would just add that if you think about people that have the inclination to make a move with their investments at a period, no matter what's happening at a period of time that where they're nervous about their investments fluctuating downward, I would just think about where the average person or where I guess, yeah, I guess where the average investor is getting their information is the media, right? Yep. And someone that gets out of the market because they're nervous that it's going to fluctuate down and then they they want to get, they'll plan to get back in at some point in time when they feel better. They're, re they're relying on the media to give them that information that would allow them to feel better about being an investor, right? And there's like a certain amount of lag time, right? So by the time there's like yeah. good news in the media and people feel better about getting back into their investment strategy if they got out in a panic or whatever period of time. Like there's like a lag time. So by the time the news is good, there's already right. been a recovery right. or a partial recovery. They've already missed part of the recovery or all of the recovery. Right. By the, by the time the news turns to be to be consistent, good news. Should, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Stay the course. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Just to the topic of we'll just call it cable news or financial news. Right. There, there will be no corresponding show three months from now that's uh, that's saying, hey, everything's great now. Jump back into the market. It's, we're very yeah. bad news focused, right? The, yeah. the onset of these events tends to be it's the news covers things that are scary and frightening. And if you turn into CNBC or whatever and hear someone say that the market is going to go down because of this event, there probably there won't be that opposite show when things turn better. It's it'll be some other set of bad news that's that gets most of the press coverage. Yeah. And so it's not equal on both sides, which is another 
reason, just to hopefully try to tune out that noise. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's get back into the show here. So I guess I just wanted to start with just some numbers on to take a look at where we're at, just because they do this drastically different. And I actually didn't pull I didn't pull a corresponding time two or three years ago for all these numbers. But I did want to spend a little bit of time here okay. just going through what things are earning as far as their yield. Right. And so when we say yield, we mean how much income something is throwing off. Right. We're not talking about you buying a stock at ten dollars a share and it going up to to $11 a share, and then you have a 10% rate of return. We're actually talking about cash in your pocket, whether that's your the interest payment on your bank, whether that's a dividend payment on a stock or a stock fund that you own. That's the number that we're talking about. And I think it's been relatively in the news. Now folks are getting paid more on their money markets. Mm-hmm. They're getting more on CDs. I just I did pull up the CDs that we have available to us through our brokerage accounts and very short term CDs, like a three month CD is at five and a half percent right now, which, okay. which is you know, very high. And that number just it's been going up and I ha- it yeah. hasn't turned down yet. But the longer you- terms are a bit shorter. I'm sorry, that's a right. bit lower yielding. Yeah, as, yeah. You, as you get out to, to five, 10 years, I think that's that last one. There is a 10 year CD that you can get, and it's a four and a half percent CD, right? So you can get a yeah. higher yield on a three month CD than you can on a 10 year CD. Yeah. And it's called an inverted yield curve, right? Normally, mm-hmm. you get paid more to, to, to wait to tie up your money for that extra period of time. Although there are periods when when the yield curve is quote unquote inverted, and that's one of those times, right? I, I do want to point out that probably this is going to be a temporary phenomenon, right? So you can look at that mm-hmm. a couple of different ways, right? Oh, if this is going to be temporary, then I shouldn't take my five and a half percent three month CD. I should take my my five year CD at five because that way I can lock in those payments and I can continue to 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 grab that five percent for five years as opposed to just taking my three month at five and a half and then having to reinvest it. And anytime you're short term with your investment, there's always a, it's just called reinvestment risk of, oh, I bought this bond or CD and now it matured. And there's no, there's nothing that says that interest rates have to be the same now as they are three months from now or six months from now. And those shorter term CDs, just to be clear, a three month CD is a five and a half percent rate of return for annualized. three months. Right. Annualized. So you get a quarter yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. Which again, it's not bad and certainly preferable yeah. to where to, to three years ago when it was 0.3, <laughs> but yeah. it is not, it's not necessarily a permanent situation. And I would say it's, there's a very good chance that at some point in the relatively near future, this, this, the old relationships go back to normal where you, know, yeah. you get paid more interests to tie up your money for longer as opposed to get paid more to to go shorter. That could get there any number of ways. It could get there by shorter term rates going down, which is if I had to bet, I'd get I'd bet on that one. But it could also change by longer term rates going up. Yeah, I'm having Um, a hard time. Some people are like when clients are looking at CD rates for bank cash or whatever, which everyone's looking at now, thinking about for bank cash that they might not need for a period of time or hopefully that they don't plan to need for a period of time. Yeah. So what you just said, so with the inverted yield curve and three to six months, nine months CDs are pretty attractive, but 12, 18, 24, they get the yields are a little bit less attractive and I'm having a hard time. People are, what should I do? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Because, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, I am with you. The Fed is pretty open about they would like to lower interest rates at some point, but they have to get inflation under control first and see a pattern of inflation being closer to their target 
first, right? What is, which right. is what two and a half percent? We're still more than a percent away um, from inflation being to target. So I, I think that interest rates will lower at some point. But yeah, now maybe what if it's not for a year or two? Yeah, then maybe those. So I don't know. Anyway, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't. Yeah. It's always good to, you know, yeah. for, for both advisors and investors to, to try to stay out of the short term prediction business. Right. It's yeah. just it's very yeah. difficult. I would if I had a recommendation, I think if your rate of return for your CD is five and I have five point five, six, two for a three month, that's the average rate. And then you get out okay. to a year or two and it's five point four, five point three. That's probably not a bad idea to lock up the longer term yeah. in that particular case yeah. based on those numbers. But again, we obviously don't know what's going to happen. Two years ago, we wouldn't have told you that, hey, we can yeah. get getting a five and plus percent three-year CD rate. It's just, it yep. seemed impossible back then, yet here we are uh, a few years later and in, in, indeed. So it doesn't mean it can't go back the other way and just as quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you're right. Good point. Yeah. I won't spend a, I won't spend a ton of time on that shorter term other than to say, certainly manage your cash to maximize your yield. That's a great idea. I don't think that current rates justify a change to your investment strategy. That's a that's a generic statement of if you're a long-term investor and you're looking at your long-term return projections and your advisor says, oh, your moderate portfolio here is going to, should historically speaking, is going to earn you 5 or 6%. And then you, I don't think you should turn around and look at short-term cash investments and say, hey, I can just get that here for no yeah. risk. Yeah. Um, and so why wouldn't I do that, right? It's, you don't, returns don't come in, in stock and bond markets, they don't come every year or in, in the case of CDs, every month or every three months. Yeah. They tend to be, they go through periods where they're where they're depressed and then they go through periods where they outperform. So jumping in and out to take advantage of these yields, probably not a great idea. And I don't think it's going to work very well because at some point the market yeah. will recover and, and you can have your balanced portfolio make 25% in a year. And if you're sitting in a CD earning five, it's all of a sudden doesn't look so great anymore. I feel like it already doesn't. And so super common school tra train of thought recently yep. for investors. And I have this question almost daily in meetings about, because you and I talk about long-term average rates of return, like you just mentioned, moderate portfolio, maybe five or 6%. And so when you're like, what you said, saying that, and someone's in my head, I can get five and a half right now in a CD, but you're right. We've already, that's already proving to, it's already proving to be the case that the investment portfolio has the potential to out earn it. Well, it has the potential to out-earn it. I was just looking this morning and rolling 12-month returns for a balanced portfolio right. are probably 11%, something right. in that range. And and over the last 12 months, have CDs averaged 5.5%? No, they've probably averaged 4.5%. Right. Still pretty good in the world of CDs compared to the, the last decade or so. But it's already proving to be the case that, like you said, that the potential portfolio has the potential to out earn, right? And of course, there will be years when it will underperform CDs and years where it will significantly overperform. But just remember, it's quite common for investment strategies to have a period of outperformance immediately right. following a period of underperformance. And that's how things like work out to these averages, right? Right, Because if we have a, an awful year and then a, a great year and vice versa, then that's where we get those averages. Right. But yeah, Everyone, that's yeah. a really common thought these days. Why wouldn't I just put my cash in the bank? Because by the time the yield drops on that cash in the bank, the markets will be roaring and you're going to get back in and it's going to be priced higher and you're going to buy fewer shares and it wouldn't have been a good strategy. 
Yeah, the, the time at which you're looking at things is, is always impacts your perspective on it, right? Even at today's yields, if, if you looked at your, and I, and I know things were different, but there's a theoretical world in which you're looking at the potential to go get a CD at five plus percent. But if your rates of return looked like they did at the end of 2021, even in your balanced portfolio, you'd say, oh, I don't know, five and a half percent. That's that's nothing because yeah. my, my five-year return on my moderate portfolio here is eight or nine percent per year. Yeah. It's been roaring. Why do I want that five and a half? So right. it's just a, we're always a prisoner of the moment as far as how we look at things. And so just want to make sure that you're keeping a long-term perspective on, on your investing. I'm not saying that you shouldn't, you, you shouldn't consider, look at your investments and see if things, you should always be reviewing your strategy, but hopefully not making changes, uh, all that frequently because that tends to lead to, to worse behavior and maybe worse returns. Yeah. I do feel like most investors have a pretty short term memory. Yeah. Don't you think? Right. And yeah. there are some investors that are still scarred by the great recession, or actually I can think of one who's still scarred by the tech bubble 20 yeah. more than 20 years ago. Oh, is, that, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I have one that still talks about it. She was not a client of ours at the time and had a bad yeah. experience, but not that our, not that and some of our clients didn't also have a, a sizable downturn in what they may have called a bad experience. But anyway, she didn't, her situation before there wasn't someone helping her get through it and manage it. And anyway, right. But yeah, yeah most, mo- I mean, most investors yeah. are more what's happened in the last year or so. And that's like their perspective for investment performance. But yeah, most we tend to remember yeah. and any traumatic event will stick with you. Whereas yeah. most of most yeah. investing is pretty mundane. It's up, it's down, et cetera, et cetera. Anyways, yeah. we are anyway. up against a break here. You are listening to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara alongside Alyssa McNamara-Reed. And we will be right back. Hi, this is Alyssa Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Your investment strategy should largely be determined by the amount of time you have before needing the money. If you are aggressively invested, time is your friend when it comes to your portfolio recovering from this scary stock market. If you need your invested money soon, it should have been conservative to begin with. If you're not sure how your money is invested, I'd be happy to offer my opinion. 781-834-2010. And welcome back to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara alongside Alyssa McNamara-Reed. And we are talking interest and income and retirement here. And we actually didn't get through almost any of our outlines. So I feel like we got plenty. We have plenty classic. left to go here. Plenty That's of meat on the bone. I know. Classic it's always, it's always radio show hosts just off on tangents. <laughs> are we the only ones I wonder? I don't, I don't listen to a lot of other ones, but... Okay. Well, let's just we're just the, the we're just prepared. We're always yeah. overly prepared. And <laughs> that's a good thing. Good way to put it. Or or chatty either one, yes. right? In both work. <laughs> Okay, so I, I do want to spend some time, and I, th- I think it's not a bad idea to point out some of the differences in between different investments and yields. And some of them have changed you know, a bunch, and some of them are, are have remained relatively stagnant. Obviously, we we talked about we talked about the the shorter term side of things with CDs and treasury bills and savings accounts. Those are obviously up substantially. There are other assets and some of them have changed a bunch and some of them are are relatively close to where they were before, right? So if you look at the S&P 500, and I know you have a chart there, hopefully you have it handy. The current yield on the S&P mm, 500 is one and a half percent, which is, it's been in that range. Obviously it bounces around and when you get a bear market, the, the yield will bump up because adjustments and dividends tend to tend not to be 
be as quickly as adjustments in, in the share prices of stocks. If you look at the U.S. market, the S&P 500 is at 1.5%. Small cap U.S. stocks are at 2% yields. And those are in the ballpark of where they've been huh. for a long time. Small um, cap stocks are, have a higher dividend yield than large cap. That's a little counterintuitive. Small size growth. <laughs> Yeah, you would say, yeah. Companies? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think I think a lot of this is we've as the world has become globalized and as as the tech giant. I think it's I'm spitballing here, but the S and P 500 used to be dominated by big industrial companies like GE yeah. that were making things, and they were there's a lot of cash flow coming in. Whereas and they paid dividends. Whereas now it's it's Apple, it's Facebook, it's Amazon, and those mm-hmm. are have historically been growth companies investing and, you know, in not, themselves and and stuff right of, so, you know, still yeah. still trying to grow not that the the GEs in the old days weren't trying to grow but i think it's just a we're in a well i think there was a different, different culture though yeah. with the the with taking care of their employees was like right. yeah. arguably more important they all had pensions and they were giving right. the retiree health care and they were like taking care of their community and their people. And so that would make sense that they would be taking care of then their shareholders, right? And a lot of their employees probably were their shareholders. And so I think there's just a different culture. And yeah, and stock, know. yeah, stock yeah. buybacks, which I know we we talked about a bit, right? I actually don't, I should have looked up before. I think it was maybe the 90s or maybe, who knows? It was a while ago when, when, when stock buybacks, which is a company using their cash flow to purchase outstanding shares, right? Which essentially shrinks shrinks the number of outstanding shares and makes the ones that are still outstanding more valuable. That's companies do that a lot, A, to have shares to 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 use in their in control their the corporation. Structure. Okay. Yep. But yeah. If, but a lot of a lot of these companies will have option packages as part of as part of their deals. Obviously the company needs to have shares in order to dole out to their employees. Yeah. It's also arguably more tax efficient to to have an appreciated stock price than it is to, to kick out a dividend, right? There is a there's a reasonable tax argument where oh Apple could pay whatever a five percent dividend every mm-hmm. year. Like, Apple does pay a dividend. I don't think it's particularly large. That would be taxable to everyone who received right. it in a taxable account. Or they could use they could pay a, a smaller dividend, buy back a bunch of shares, appreciate their their stock price, and that appreciation escapes from taxation. Right. Or it eventually is paid, or eventually capital gains taxes are paid on it. That's right. But still a lower tax rate. Not on a day to day basis. Why? Right. Right. I'm sorry, not on a year to year basis, right? You you may, and a lot of times those might be inherited, right? So you could pass that on and theoretically yep. never pay taxes on that appreciation. Yeah. So um, we were, I found a chart regarding historical dividend yield for the S&P 500. So just to back up a, a second to make sure our listeners understand that yeah. we talk about rate of return of a stock investment, for example, it's comprised of two things. It's comprised of the dividend yield. So what's paid out as a percentage of the share price, what's paid out in the form of a dividend, that's one component of rate of return. And the other component is share price, either appreciation or sometimes depreciation. So those two things together generate a rate of return. And so historically, your rate of return is comprised it's comprised of both of those things, unless it happens to be a particular stock that doesn't pay a, dev- a dividend, and then it would just all be the movement of the share price. So I found yep. a, a chart, historical dividend yield of the S&P 500. This is on Investopedia, which in my experience has been a pretty good source of information. So I'm yep. going to go with, I'm trusting this. And so <laughs> it's a good it's a good chart and it actually goes back more than a hundred years. This goes back to 1880 or 1870 or something. This is a long time, but let's just talk yep. about like early in the 20th century from like 1900 and let's say to like 
1955. In those, in that roughly half century, dividend yield fluctuated between 8%. So some pretty high dividend yields in that first half of that century. Second half of the 20th century fluctuated more, what's that? Three to 5%. So came down quite a bit. Yeah, but still quite high based on where it is today. And then it wasn't until I, it looks like a yeah, like about the nineties yep. where dividend yield then hasn't doesn't look like it's really been above three percent much at all in the last 30, 35 years. Okay. So that's quite a change in over a hundred, hundred and fifty years. And probably, I think, I don't know, speculating like probably some of that is just the composition of the companies in the S&P 500, right? And and tech, there's more obviously tech companies today than there were 150 years ago and that maybe they're more growth oriented and less focus on on paying out dividends to shareholders and and maybe share buybacks as part of it as well. But yeah, it seems to be a pretty significant trend downward in the last 100, 150 years in terms of dividend payouts. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think I, my guess is that probably won't change. I don't see a, I think the legislative change of adding stop, you know, stock options and share buybacks. Uh, I, I think that's, unless that's changed, I don't think uh, you're going to see a major change to that. So I think more and more companies will prioritize appreciation over sending dividends. That's not, that doesn't mean they won't pay dividends, but go ahead, you had a point. And you know what? I did have a point and you had mentioned taxation, the, the capital gains tax reduced yeah. to 15 to 20% in 1997. Okay. So that could be part of the reason as well that yeah. lines up with now dividends are much lower on average than they were prior to that. And, and that can be the difference between a capital gains tax bracket and an income tax bracket for people can be pretty substantial. Yeah. 10%, 15%. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Now, most yeah. a lot of stock dividends are now air quotes qualified dividends. So they're they're in line. But yeah, actually, and I don't historically speaking, I don't know when those were lined up or if it happened all at the same time. But yeah, it's I don't think you're going back there. There are yeah. differences between here and the rest of the world. Right. If you look at the developed world outside of the United States, yields are higher. That, that could partially be due to the fact that the U.S. market has been stronger. If price goes up and okay, dividends yeah. don't go up as quickly, yeah. you get a lower yield. It's You're almost at 3% outside of the U.S. or so the rest of the developed world, your, mm. your Western Europe's, your Japan's, your Canada's. Emerging markets, again, almost 3% at 2.8. Again, these mm. I'm going to use round numbers here because I know these literally change every second. I'm just ballparking all of this stuff. But and, and those are, I think those are remained relatively static as well. It's really when you get into the bond side of things, which is which are obviously related to our earlier discussion about about CDs and they're based on interest rates and you know heavily influenced by what the Fed is doing. If, if you just get a, a regular a good old bond index now, you're getting almost a 5% rate of return. 4.87 is the I use the the spider aggregate bond fund was 4.87 as and of when I just the yield component of that. Just the yield. Just okay. The yield. Yeah. Okay. Right. There's 
probably not going to be a lot of appreciation when you're investing in a bond index. You're generally speaking, not looking probably for a lot of appreciation out of the underlying securities. Right. It's not like buying a stock that's the company's going to do really great and I'm going to get growth plus yield. You wouldn't look for much, much appreciation from that. You might have depreciation yeah. or appreciation depending on where interest rates go. But hopefully um, we won't have much more depreciation hopefully. of the value of bonds. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. And then there, there are on the junk bond side, so higher yielding securities are now are way up. The, there's a an ETF called JNK, which is also a spider. The yield is is eight point seven four percent as of wow. Right now, is, so this is know, lower credit quality. Are they, that's corporate? Is it lower credit quality? Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yield bond, yeah, is a yeah just a corporate bond from less credit worthy yeah. companies, and they therefore have to pay have to pay higher interest rates because you you wouldn't you wouldn't loan them money at five percent, but you might loan them money at ten percent. Yeah, uh, critically, just to be clear. For the most part, in a bond fund like that, if you're in the high yield bond space, you expect some of the companies to go out of business. So you actually expect a, a yield lower than your actual coupon payment. Yeah. To how the management may have something to say about that, whether they're actively buying and selling, and there you may you may pick the ones that actually don't go out of business. And so you, it doesn't necessarily need to be the case, but you would expect some of those companies to actually go out of business, which does reduce your overall return. Wow. Okay. You said, you don't, I don't think you meant that, Alyssa. You were in your, this is. Okay. I, I, Mike, I was going to ask you how much, le- I don't know how much less you would expect than that. And I, then I didn't know if you'd know the answer. So. Yeah. <laughs> if you didn't know the answer, I didn't want to ask. It's some, it's some, yeah. I don't know the historical number. Yeah. It, it's heavily dependent on the underlying market fundamentals of sure. you know, when yeah, you own yeah. the, when you own yeah. it, right? If, if you own it during the Great Recession, it, it goes up and maybe you lose whatever, five or 10% of those companies. And if you earn it during a strong period of time, maybe that number is, is closer to zero, right? It, hmm. It's heavily yeah. dependent on the economy in which you're investing. So okay. I won't spend yeah. you know mu- much more time on those. I will say that there are a bunch of fun you can now buy in in the world that we live in now, where there are there's a mutual fund for everything and, and increasingly an ETF for everything as well. Mm-hmm. You can go shopping for yield specific investments, right? And and I know as we transition here from what things are paying, and we'll talk about how to use those investments for for your ongoing in income needs. If you're the kind of person who is interested in, hey, I don't I don't want to sell my capital. Right? There's two different kind of schools of thought when it comes to retirement investing. One is it's it's I'm just going to use my total return is all I care about, right? Mm-hmm. If my investment portfolio earns 6%, I don't really care what the nature of that 6% is, right? I don't care if it's purely 6% in dividend income. I don't care if it's purely 6% in appreciation. All that matters is I'm taking out 3% and I'm making six. And so I get to have a, my nest egg continues to grow and I get to take a little bit more money out each year. So that's the total return is just the money, your portfolio makes what it makes and you take your income from whatever source is, is you, you prefer really, right? Yeah. I said, wow, without enthusiasm earlier, because I told you beforehand that this, this <laughs> topic of conversation was not. A- I know, I've- right. <laughs> but- we, can, we can throw some Roth IRA stuff in at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, you know, let's right? do it. Let's do it. Um, so, no, but I, but this is, but I think that's a good point. And when you were talking about yield and changing yield on investments, that's where my mind went for, and it's normal, my normal approach to retirement planning with people, which, because I think this works for most people. Yeah. is to approach it like 
Tell me how much you're spending now. Basically define your lifestyle now. And then I will calculate how much do you need from your portfolio to keep your same lifestyle with any adjustments, of course, you might want to make. And then based on that, then we'll have a conversation about is, are you take, will you be taking too much, too little? Can you afford to retire, et cetera? So that's like just a normal approach, but that's not like an import that what's the word? I don't know. I don't know how to categorize that. I, just, I think that's normal. Yep. And that's you in, in that approach, I'm not having any conversations about breaking down a rate of return between yield and appreciation. We're not really talking right. about principal versus earnings. And you don't, it's just, it seems unnecessary because most investors are just thinking about overall rate of return because that's what's yeah. reported. That's because that's what we're reporting to them <laughs> yeah. normally, yeah. right? And and I don't blame them. That's just the way that it is. And that's just normal. But right. like you said, and we had a conversation before the show about Another approach to retirement, which actually I think is a really great approach, but it's rare. Because yeah. I think for affordability reasons, it's rare. But the other approach is, tell me when you want to retire. I will tell you how much I can send you from the portfolio, basically without touching principle. Let's just take the earnings your portfolio can generate. Yep. Never to maybe not never, but try not to touch principal and just live off of your portfolio's earnings. Then you don't have to ever worry about longevity of your money. You're not going to outlive it if you're never touching principal and you're just taking the earnings. Right. But that's a rare approach to retirement because you have to have quite a sizable sum relative to what you need in order to just take off the earnings. Right. Right. Most especially people, now in the yeah. yeah in the market that we live in today. I think my th- my, my okay. I'm, yeah. I'm I'm putting a theory out there that you know if you were an investor let's say let's say 75 years ago or 50 years ago you you might be you might well be anchoring to the number of shares of Standard Oil that you had right you would say all right I have this hundred shares of Standard Oil and they're gonna and they're going to pay me this dividend. And so if you were using like a total return approach to income, then you might have to sell some of your shares of the stock. And it was probably yeah. a it was probably a more simplified portfolio back then. And you were buying round lots. This is I'm guessing that it's I tend to hear it more, I think, from older folks anyway, where they're living off of dividends seems to be more popular. And I'm I'm just gonna guess that's where it came from, right? Which is the old days, okay. right? You go buy your stocks and then those dividend checks they show up in the mail. Yeah, okay. And yeah. You don't ever yeah. have to worry about Again, your price is fluctuating. Back then, you probably wouldn't even know. You might get gotten your report like once a year or you'd have to take it out and look it up in the newspaper. And so I think it's probably, my guess is that's where it comes from, but it does make some people feel comfortable, right? It doesn't, it's, I'm not selling anything. I'm not, I'm not invading my principal, quote unquote. And it's a, I think it's a comfortable way to live. And it's again, if you explain it and say, all right, well, you're just, you theoretically can never live out of money if you only live on the interest. That's great. It just, it, it has worked as it, it hasn't been as easy to do I think certainly not in the last 10 or 15 years when right when interest rates specifically on the bond side were very low and now especially given the fact that we have a, a lower yield environment on 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 stocks as well it's just it's just hard yeah what is what sacrifices do you want to make and what do you want to worry about so if right. you the sort of a more the more normal approach to retirement that we talked about is we'll just gonna send you like a fixed amount every month because that's what you like need to live your life but yep. then people might be having to worry about 
longevity yeah. of their money. And they're worried about when we have a down market like this and balances are down 10 or 20% or whatever, and then their rate of draw is higher. And then they're worried about, am I going to run out? So it's like, that. that's a fairly common worry, unfortunately, for some people in retirement, right? Depending on yep. what, what the numbers are. So that's that. That's what they're worried about. Maybe they're not necessarily worried about what's coming in every month because that's fixed, but yep. they're then they're worried about what's the, what's the, am I going to run out? What's the, do I have enough on all that? Yeah. With this other approach, this yield, I don't know, a yield-based approach, approach or dividend-based approach, right? Then they're not, maybe then they're not worried about longevity, but then they might have to adjust their lifestyle and spending as the environment changes, right? So think about if someone had retired in 2006, (laughs) right? And, or five or whatever, mid 2000s and interest rates and yields were at a a more normal level, right? And then we have the credit crisis and then yield on bonds goes to almost nothing for 12, what, 13 years. And then that's a long time to reduce your spending, right? And and so then that (laughs) that might not, because yield could have gone from what, 5% to 1.5% for a long time. And, and maybe they didn't have, maybe it wasn't all bonds and all that stuff. And right, th- those are, th- maybe those are, that was a drastic estimate. But, and then now vice versa, like if someone in a dividends approach now would be like, woohoo, and, it, and it's, they're higher and they could spend more, but how long can they do that? So it's just, it's a great approach and people that have more than enough money, it's a good approach. And maybe they're just using it for their discretionary spending and dining out and travel yeah. and gifting to their kids and stuff like that. But that's probably the minority of Americans, right? So it just doesn't really work out in reality, but. Yeah, I do. I do like it as a, as an option again, because I think the psychological impact of it, right. And so I, let me just, I'll throw a number out here. We, we have our, we have a moderate portfolio where we, where we do some investment strategies that are designed to drive income, right? So you can build your, we build our investment pies and there's any number of, any number of investments that we can use to fill out our pie slices, right? Our asset classes. If you use investments that are filtered specifically to deliver higher yield, right? So favor yield over appreciation, which is, I'm not saying there aren't trade-offs to doing that, but one of our portfolios that we use, the actual yield is up over 4% per year, right? So it's just, a, it's now at least, I think, a, a a reasonable option, at least right now. It doesn't mean things won't change and won't be different five years from now. And it may not work that you'll be able to pull 4% off of a diversified investment portfolio of stocks and bonds forever. But for those folks who have that preference, it's certainly something that you can now do with a lot more ease and and have to worry less about, again, like you said, shrinking your income. And if you really don't want to sell any shares of your stocks. Yeah. I think it's if we think about overall return and return potential, right? We already talked about, yeah, stock market return often overperforms after a period of underperformance. But if we think like long term, 2019, 20, 2021, like really great years in the stock market, but low yield on bonds, right? And now it's higher yield on bond investments and I don't think that the stocks can, I don't think U.S. stocks can perform at the same levels that they did a few years ago with any consistency going forward with the U.S. debt and deficit and all the problem, all the problem. I just, I don't think they can, I think stocks could be 
average earners, mid to high single digit earners on average going forward, but I don't think they're going to be 10, 12, 15% per year, 25% per year that they were in the recent past. So I guess what I'm saying is it's a good thing that we now have, like for people that have balanced portfolios, like that's, thank God we have some yield now in the world from, or some yield now in bond positions to hopefully add to return of a portfolio. I'm still comfortable with the target returns that we use for our portfolios. I just think it, I think it will be made up in a different way. Yeah. The sources of return. The sources of return. Yeah. Very stock heavy, very US stock heavy the last several years. And I don't necessarily think that will be the case going forward. Yeah. I should, it also makes, if you're, if, even for folks who aren't worried about the the actual yield on the portfolio and just live using the old live off the dividends model, it, it does make cash management easier, I think, for portfolios, right? In, in just examples of how we run our practice, right? We For folks who are taking income, we tend to, again, not across the board, but we tend to try to have some margin of safety. In other words, have a year or two or three or four or five, depending on client preference on let's make sure we have safe money for X number of years so we don't have to worry about potentially selling assets in a down market, right? We call it internally our our bucket Bucket. strategy, (laughs) but it makes that a higher yield makes that process easier as well. And I just have some, I just ran some numbers, right? So if you wanted to get, if you have a million dollar portfolio and you wanted to take your 4% per per year, that's $40,000. If your portfolio was yielding 2%, which going back a couple of years, it's probably a fairly close number. If you wanted to have a few years of safety and you wanted to use your anticipated dividends, you would have had to set aside $40,000, right? So you get your, you have your million dollars. It's going to pay you two over two years. That's $40,000, but over two years, you want to take out 80. So we need to set aside 40, right? So that's your safe money is, oh, hey, this $40,000 should get you through two years without us having to worry about selling any of your assets. And that hopefully that buys us some time uh, to ride out any bumps in, in the market, right? And those numbers change drastically, right? Obviously, if you're taking out for and your yield is for, you technically don't need any real margin of safety, right? So yep. you're just literally living off the dividend. So I don't have to worry. Granted, interest rates can change, dividend rates can change. And so we we wouldn't probably fully go to a zero cash position, but you shouldn't have to worry much about where your where your money's coming from and having to liquidate in a down market under those circumstances at 4%. Whereas if you're at 2% and you wanted to be extra safe, and, and we certainly have clients who, who are on that edge of things, yep. you might have to set aside a hundred thousand dollars to get through five years using those numbers and that over long periods of time will drag on your return right because cash yeah. you know outside of right now is 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 going to drag on your longer term rate of return so it just makes the the income management process easier as well and oh man we've you know what at least we got mostly most of the way through the uh, are we out of time already yeah. We are out of time. Yeah, we're oh, up against wow. a break here. Anyways, thank you all, all right. for listening. If you have any questions, you can shoot us an email, questions at McNamaraonmoney.com. Check out our podcasts on your favorite podcatcher. Just search McNamara on Money, and you can check us out on the web, McNamaraFinancial.com, or up in the Merrimack Valley, McNamara of the Merrimack.com. And that is it. We will talk to you next week. You can find McNamara on Money on all the major podcasting platforms. New episodes drop every Monday. Tune in weekly for everything you need to know about making smart financial decisions. Subscribe today so you don't miss a single episode.